This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 544, and the quote of the day is, what's old is new again. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, what's going on? Nick Ruffini here, episode 544. I'm so happy you're here. If this is the first episode you've ever listened to, one, I would wonder uh, what took you so long, and uh, two, thanks for being here. I appreciate you. Again, episode 544, which is crazy, and I had a conversation yesterday with my good buddy, Rich Redmond, and we were talking about Drummer's Resource, we were talking about the podcast, and he was actually interviewing me for his podcast called The Rich Redmond Show, and we started talking about the guests who I've had on this show, and we started talking about J.R. Robinson, and he was like, yeah, you had J.R. on you know a long time ago, and I was thinking that was a really, really long time ago, and what I realized is that a lot of you may not have heard this episode because it came out, it was episode 19. So it came out, you know, almost six years ago. And if you don't know who J.R. Robinson is, shame on you. He is the most recorded drummer of all time. I know there's some speculation or some, some controversy of who is the most recorded drummer of all time, but uh, I'm pretty sure it goes to J.R. Robinson. I mean, the man has played on thousands and thousands of songs. He's played on records from Michael Jackson to Queen Latifah to Daft Punk to Michael Bolton to Steve Winwood, everyone in between. He's played on major motion picture soundtracks. He's been doing this for decades, and it is an honor and a pleasure to have him on this podcast. And I know that this episode came out a few years ago, but the key is it's J.R. Robinson and he has timeless wisdom. He has timeless knowledge that I think is very valuable and and very timely even right now in 2019. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the legendary John J.R. Robinson. John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show. Nick, it's my honor uh, to uh, to uh, talk to the world and, of course, uh, drummers rule the world. So, hello, my fellow drummers. <laughs> we do rule the world. <laughs> I don't oh, think I don't know to. if anybody else knows that, but uh, well, of course now, they don't. <laughs> now they do. <laughs> but that's why we, you know we hit things and uh, and do it. You know, absolutely. So you're uh, you're in the L.A. area now, right? Warm and yeah. sunny. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a little cooler than it was, but I, I'm told it's a lot warmer than when you are. So, yeah, I'm about in a, in a thousand Oaks area. Oh, okay, great. So, are you mostly in LA, or do you do? Um, I know that you tour, but do you, would you say you do more studio work now or more touring work? Um, uh, studio. studio, always studio. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I know a lot of people always wonder how they can get into that sort of thing. And before we dive into into that topic, I always like to get the backstory of how people got started drumming. So how did you get into it? Well, you know, I was, you know, I came from a town in southwest Iowa, kind of north of uh, Kansas City called Creston, Iowa. And my uh, dad was an optometrist and mother was a housewife. And um, he started me, I mean, he was always very musical and she was always listening to big band records. So, I think it kind of rubbed off. I started playing piano when I was around five, and uh, he was kind of a bit of a tyrant with my piano lessons. And I, quite frankly, 
as much as I loved piano, didn't <laughs> didn't dig it. Right. And you know, started listening to big band records with my mom, and and she um, kind of taught me about swing and groove and 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 some famous drummers, and you know, just kept doing it. And and uh, pretty soon, I kind of got hit by the the drum bug between age seven and eight. Nice. So once you once you hit seven or eight and you got this drum bug, where did you go from there? Did you take private lessons or did you did you start learning stuff on your own? Or um, it, it was still you know being only eight years old uh, and in a small town of eight thousand people, there weren't any teachers. So I just kind of played, and then I was introduced to this guitar player, and we started a little band uh, when I was ten, and and. It was just a duo, and we started opening up for high school rock bands. So, uh, kind of at that point, um, I was trying to get lessons with a guy named Jim Coffin. He used to work for Yamaha, and he was the head music instructor at University of Northern Iowa. But mm-hmm. it was so far north, it was like almost 300 miles, and uh, we just couldn't justify driving up there for the lessons. Right. So that never did come to pass. Hmm. Uh, then I started you know, doing your normal thing with, with my, with my rock band, added a third member, uh, started playing in the big bands. Uh, and then, uh, when I got into junior high, I started playing with my, all my teachers and all the adults. So I started learning you know, music concept, song concepts, uh, what, what, you know, to me, what drumming is about and kind of how it's manifested itself into what I do today. Mm-hmm. It's all about songs. And I started going on the road with these guys uh, in junior high, and it would be funny, all the way through junior high and high school, I'd be starting on the basketball team, and then they'd wait and pick me up, and then we'd go do a gig <laughs> somewhere. So it was, I was always juggling between basketball and drumming. That's and, awesome. Uh, you know, and then I started going to all the jazz camps, national stage band camps, and you know, I met um, Ed Sof uh, at Illinois State University, and, you know, incredible uh, moment in my life and he basically changed my life with my style so. right so then after that um after high school you went on to berkeley right that is correct and uh, it was through ed's recommendation i he I, I had done two camps with him and he i said listen this, what do you think what do you think where should i go you know i'll go down the north texas state because it's just down i-35 right you know in northern texas i could i could be back for the holidays back in iowa and you know, see the family and blah, blah, blah. He goes, no, I think you should go to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and he was right because Berkeley had a lot hipper, even back in the early seventies, I went in 73 through five. And, uh, you know, we, it was like, you know, like really hip small group stuff. It was very Miles Davis oriented. It was very Jimi Hendrix oriented. It was, uh, and it also had a very cool big band vibe. It wasn't the traditional big band. So, it was intriguing to me because it was all new territory. So I, I went to Boston right after high school. Hmm. Now, at what point did you realize that this is what you wanted to do for a career? Uh, when I was uh, probably around 10 years old. And that was it? Just no no plan B, just I'm going to play drums and, and that's it? There was never a plan B. Um, my, one of my uh, band directors always said, well, you know, make sure you get your degree so you can fall back and teach. You know, I'm sure everybody's heard that. Right. And I said, you know, um, yeah, okay, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was this uh, running joke. Uh, anybody that had gone to Berkeley, mm-hmm. if they ever graduated, they were losers. You know, uh, it's funny that you say that because I was going to ask you, 
if you graduated because most people that I talk to go to Berkeley or most I shouldn't say that most people that that created a successful career out of playing didn't graduate. Well, and I, I unfortunately, I mean, for, I'm sorry, not unfortunately. Um, fortunately, I know several people that have graduated that are unbelievably successful musicians right. and and mentors. But mm-hmm. it generally, in those days when we were there, and I didn't mean that in, a, in you know in a derogatory way. It just seemed that everyone I've talked to that has already been successful, or, you know, they're saying, "Oh no, I left Berkeley a year early or something like that." Well, definitely. I mean, I I got out in my um, <laughs> I would say I got out of prison in my um, <laughs> um, let's see my I was in the like entering my sixth semester. Okay. And uh, it was uh, and I was the last drummer. Uh, honestly, all the other cats were gone. Uh, in, in my particular class, and uh, I go, shit, I don't want to be the last drummer. <laughs> right, so, right. I got to uh, get out of here. I got to go, and so I joined a couple of bands. Applied and, for uh, parole, and uh, exactly. So, do you think that it's? Do you think the reason that most of the people leave before they graduate is because they're getting pulled in so many different directions that it just makes sense for them to to leave? I think that everybody gets anxious, especially when you're being thrust into all this new, um, um, you know, I, I don't care what generation you went to Berkeley or whatever college you're going to, uh, everybody wants to go out and apply. Right. And, uh, and, and to make a statement. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, I was, I was definitely that guy too. I wanted to, I wanted to go out and, and, uh, show what everybody, you know, what I could do and get into a band and, and, um, you know, just, just kind of power on man there was mm-hmm. so much excitement going on in the mid 70s yeah, yeah, yeah i mean it was just you know we had cobham doing his thing and we had this amazing rock thing happening and um and you know experimentation on records that you know obviously today you can't get away with unless you're daft punk a once in a lifetime right so uh it was just a very cool vibe you know he had miles getting into this electronica stuff and mm-hmm. it was it was exciting for us so that was kind of it i had to go. Yeah, you had to go. Now, comparatively speaking, do you think that did you enjoy the the stuff then more than you do now, or do you do you enjoy it just in a different way? Stuff meaning what? The music wise, like the stuff I, that you were recording, you know, then or working on then or playing then versus the stuff that you're playing and working. Oh, on I now. think it's a you know it's a growth process. You know, I, I, thank God I've been playing drums for over fifty one years, and um, you know, I, I still. I still learn things every day. And in fact, right before you called, guess what I was doing? Learning something. Well, yeah, I was learning how old lugs go on a 42-inch, a 42-leady drum set. Nice. I, I, my old roadie, Bear, from the old, old Rufus days, uh, he's retired now. He's been holding a 1942 28-inch leady set for me for years, for 25 years. And I finally got it out here. It's got calfskin heads on it. And... and uh, so I was just like, you know, I, my original set was a 40 Ludwig and I go, man, it had these weird lugs. And so I just, mm-hmm. I got them all, I just got the drum set up and running. It sounds amazing. So nice. that's what I, that's what I was doing. So are you a gearhead? Uh, I've gotten rid of a lot of it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, inclusive of electronics too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Studio oriented, so, uh, studio, studio oriented gear. Right, right. 
So you were saying about, you know, being at Berkeley and, and, but at, even at a young age saying that you were going to do this as a career. So what is your, what would your advice be for people that want to make a career out of this and say they're either in college or out of college or, you know, or even younger than that. And they say, I want to make a career in music and how can I, how can I go about doing it? Well, you know, when I do drum clinics, I always see these, you know, these teenage drummers, they go, yeah, I want to be a, I want to be a drummer in a rock band. You know, sure. That's been everybody's fantasy all the time. Right. Um, ever since the Beatles landed, but, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, you know, I asked them several questions. I go, first of all, are you trained? Can you read? Do you understand piano, uh, guitar, any sort of a melodical instrument? Um, have you gotten any sort of theory training? You've been to a church. Do you sing in church? You know, things that you can apply. <clears throat> and a lot of these guys don't have none of that. And I said, well, you know what, to go forward, it's not all about the garage band. Right. You, know, you have you have to go forward. You have to actually get training, and uh, you know that's. Uh, and then I hear stories about the guy who's fifty, who his wife made him quit playing drums, and but he kept his drums in the garage, and he's finally dusting them off to play again. Right. And you know I'm I'm kind of happy for the guy. So, you know, you know, to me those are both sad situations of non-accomplishment, mm -hmm. but, um. To tell a young, a young person, he has to totally believe it in his heart and soul. And, you know, you want to go go full forward. You just can't go uh, half speed. Right. you got to go full speed, and you need to absorb, and you need to let your ego not rule any sort of emotions because you're going to come up with a guy. You're going to meet some guy at school that's going to just kick your ass. Right. And, uh, however, he may not be the right guy for the gig. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need to like learn and and be acceptable, and and try to figure out where your niche is. And as drummers, you know, we're we're basically very important to everybody. But sometimes they want us in the background all the time. But you know, I always look at us as as the leaders. We are the leaders. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, it's not that crazy guy swinging a mic up in the front, right? Um, you know, we're still, we're going to be, we were here from the beginning and we'll be here at the end. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I would just say to these guys that's to have a, have a game plan. And if it veers a little bit, so be it. And right. I also, you know, for sing, you know, young drummers, I would suggest stay single because if you're if a drummer, your first wife is your drum set. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. There was a, um, I know that for a fact. Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of the uh, one of the users on the site asked, um, you know, f for professionals like you, did you is it was it a matter of finding yourself in the right place or putting yourself in the right place when you got some of these gigs? Interesting. Um, I would think finding. Mm -hmm. I, I I've been truly blessed, and and um, you know, I mean, like the Rufus and Chaka Khan break that happened way the hell out of the blue. No, I, I didn't see that coming. Right. And, and, and ironically, I had known their music being in Boston because I played in a Rufus Shaka kind of cover band. And it was like, you know, when they were kind of a cult band before they even hit. And it was just ironic that I joined that. Uh, and they, it just happened. And right. there I was. I, and I lived in L.A. So um, which led me to Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. So I was I, I was at the right place at the right time. And of course, 
you know, my choice and taste in music also leads you down that path. Right. You know, if, if you want to sit and listen to, let's just say, for conversation's sake, Pat Metheny, mm-hmm. all you do is listen to Pat Metheny. You know, your chances are your style is going to be indicative of Pat Metheny's style, and you're going to play that way most of the time. Right. Well, you know, I always try to have drummers listen to everything, even even to classical and, and to, you know, um, uh, any sort of any sort of music that would trigger their inner soul. Mm-hmm. And, and um, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you had mentioned being, you know, being at the right place at the right time. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but if you, I'm thinking that you know, if you weren't prepared, even though you were there, if you weren't prepared to play that gig, you would have never got the gig. So it's that like is correct. All the that preparation you did correct. beforehand. That, I mean, that is correct. I, I remember even way before that, I was subbing in Boston for a drummer named Joe Hunt, who was mm-hmm. from Philadelphia. He was kind of like a white Elvin Jones, one of the teachers at Berkeley, just a phenomenal, phenomenal drummer. And I was a sub, and I was playing with a, a lady named Lynn Stewart, who was Chick Corea's uh, cousin. Okay. And she was a, a pianist, a vocalist, and, you know, like a lounge uh, jazz thing. So I did a couple of gigs with her, and, and uh, one night Chick came in, and I was like, you know, you get starstruck, right. especially when you're 18, yeah. 19. And, and I go, I always wanted to play with Chick, you know, because I was like in the Return to Forever and Stanley and this really heavy fusion rock jazz thing that was, uh, that was coming out. And, mm-hmm. and I went up to Chick and I go, you know, one, one day I'm going to play with you. And he looked at me <laughs> and he goes, he goes, one day you will. <laughs> That's all he said. <laughs> and of course, I don't think I ever played with Chick. I mean, maybe once over at Mad Hatter doing somebody else's record. Right. But uh, I, I was not the drummer for Chick. And, right. Uh, it was just kind of an interesting story. <laughs> I, I don't know if that tied, tied into your question. No, and I think it does. You know, even all the preparation that goes into it, even, you know, you could be the baddest cat on the block, but if you're not right for the gig, you're not right for the gig. It doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to talk, uh, it was in a, basically it was a glorious and a sad day at the same time when, when Rufus came in with Shaka, uh, she came on stage later that night and they ended up on the stage with me and my band and then my whole band left and it was just Rufus, me and Shaka and we did the whole night. And then I stayed up with our guys all night and at uh, 6 a.m. and I went to sleep and and then they go, do you want to come to our sound check the next day? And I go, I would love to. And, and that's when I knew I had the horse. Right. And uh, so I went and sat in on the drummer's drums, and I felt really bad for him because he kind of um, kind of disappeared behind the speakers. Right. And they pulled out a song, which was a samba from a, the old Ask Rufus record that Hawk had written, and, and I knew it intimately and nailed it. And everybody's just looking around, like going, "Holy shit!" And uh, finished it, and then I go, "I got to go because I got to go to my gig." And right. they're getting they're getting ready to go on stage, and they go, "Do you want to join the band?" And right then, I just you know, it's that wait. They hired you on the spot. On the spot. What did they do with the other drummer? They'll go. We'll fire him later. Oh my god! You know, I'm sure this is not the only band that did that. Right. Right. And uh, that's you know, nuts, this is, though. This is '78, and and listen, as a drummer, as a, a young coming up kind of guy, and and speaking to the young people that'll be listening to this, a 
you feel sorry and, and, and not play that well and lose the gig? Or B, do you go in there guns blazing and take the gig? And the answer is I mean, B. Absolutely, it's B. Yeah. And um, you Now, know, do you think that that's... Sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, else? well, no, that's, that's, that's basically it. Now, what about if you're sitting in on someone else's gig? Um, say, say, well, I, say I, somebody I used said, to do that with, I used to do that with Toto in the old days. Mm-hmm. Jeff and I were, you know, obviously very close and <laughs> he'd let me sit in on some gigs. It's like, what, you know, well, this is great. Right. No, no, you don't, you don't go take the guy's gig. Right. Right. But in that, uh, but in the other, cause I think that's more of a camaraderie friendship kind of thing where it's like, Hey man, come on, we're friends. Come on up and, and sit in. I'd love to have you. Absolutely. I, I have heard non-drummer stories about, I'm not even going to say what instrument of certain players. Uh, no, (laughs) you can just keep guessing and I'm not going to answer you, but I, but I, I will, I will say that it does look like a guitar. Right. (laughs) And let's just leave it at that, that, uh, certain people have specifically targeted, uh, gigs, but, uh, we're, we're we're speaking about drummers now, so let's let that go. So, after the uh, the Rufus thing, uh, you know, doing uh, with Chaka and Rufus, and then you ended up in L.A. and you said you you met up with with Quincy. Yes. Um. And so you got to play on the Off the Wall record. Yes. And when that when that how does that call come in? Is that just like it was wild? Oh, yeah. First of all, um, we have we have to backtrack a year. Uh, I moved to L.A. Mar- May of seventy eight, and that was a huge influx of players moved to Los Angeles exactly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Everybody did. I mean, and a lot of us Berkeley guys, all, I mean, Steubenhouse did and Vinny did came later and all of us came out. I mean, there's horn players and it was just kind of weird. It was just time to go. I think Boston's club scene had dried up and, and, uh, we were, we were doing that. But so I came out and joined the band and, um, um, we went right directly into a record without Shaka on ABC Dunhill mm-hmm. called Numbers. And it was a great record. It was, of course, it was my first legit record that I had ever done. And, um, sorry, I'm opening up a gate here. That's right. And, uh, I, you know, I had a connection with Freddie Hubbard, so I brought, brought Freddie in on, a, on one song and, and it was a cool record, and it was we got to work with the great Roy Halley from uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, mm-hmm. uh, engineer, producer, and from New York. And I learned a whole bunch about all sorts of things. Mic sound level. Uh, I was playing too hard. Um, different things like that. But then our management said we're going to um, we're going to get back with Shaka and do a record because Shaka wanted to do solo records at that point. And uh, Quincy Jones is going to produce, and I go, "This is so great," <laughs> because I, you know, I tried as a kid to get into Quincy Jones' jazz camps because he he had them also, and I couldn't ever get in. It was just because of my schedule, right? And so I was introduced to him at uh, an event in downtown at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles, and we sat together, and he always liked. It was kind of like that Buddy Rich scenario where Buddy would always go to Berkeley and grab Berkeley horn players. Right. Quincy, you know, went to Berkeley or Schillinger House in those days, and um, 
always liked Berkeley musicians. I mean, he always did. So um, uh, we talked and stuff, and and you know, Harvey Mason was king in L.A. at that time recording, mm-hmm. and um, kind of it kind of came to pass where you know he was re- he was uh, producing Rufus and Shaka way before Michael Jackson, so he was basically coming out of the Brothers Johnson in this pop rock R&B world and then going into us before he went to Michael Jackson and right. went straight, you know, you know, pop R&B. So he had a chance to listen to my solo or, or the Rufus solo record. That was actually a calling card for me to, you know, so, cause the management goes, well, you don't have to use John if you don't want to, uh, you know, you can hire Harvey or whoever you want to hire some studio drummer. Cause right. I wasn't considered a studio drummer at that time. And he, he goes, no, no, I really like the way he plays. Hmm. And plus, I knew that he knew I had gone to Berkeley, so and studied with Alan Dawson and all these things. So, I I got I, I got a, Ed, Ed Eckstein, his uh, assistant, called me and says Quincy wants to know what you're doing on Thursday, and I said nothing. Can you come down and overdub on this Michael Jackson record? So I said okay. So <laughs> we didn't even have a cartridge <clears throat> company. So right. my my roadie Bear, we uh, lassoed up a my Gretsch set. And he had a, like a 64 telephone truck and threw them all in there and drove down to uh, a studio called Alan Zentz at that time and went in and I overdubbed on uh, Paul McCartney's Girlfriend and then mm-hmm. It's the Falling in Love by Carol Bayer Sager and David Foster. Both I always consider those B-sides. And uh, yeah, for you young kids, there used to be two sides to a record. <laughs> There used to be records first. Yeah, there used to be records. Hey, there's still records in my house. No, I, I, love, <laughs> I love records. Um, and they sound better anyway. Um, Absolutely. So so I did that, and, and I could see them. I'm out by myself, you know, lonely John, sitting on the drums, watching them talk. And I, the talk back comes down, and they go, Quincy goes, what are you doing on Monday? <laughs> I go, nothing. He goes, why don't you come back and uh, let's record the rest of the album. I go, yes. You know? Awesome. So that's when I came in on Monday and met Greg Fillingaines, and we cut Don't Stop Tegan Enough. And we knew we had a number one record right out of the gates at that point. So, right. And at that point, then everything just started accelerating. Uh, and then he called Rufus, it was Bobby and uh, Hawk and myself to cut Rock With You. Excuse me. So, so that was kind of a, uh, everything just started soaring at that point. Right. So um, I was talking to uh, my buddy Carmen and Tori today. He plays with uh, he plays drums for Pat Martino, and uh, and we were talking about. I told him that I'd be talking to you today, and he wanted to know about the the rock you groove. Um, the rock with you, the intro or the whole groove. The group. Well, you wanted to know one. Are you playing it one handed? Uh, no, it's two. Yeah, the rock with you is two handed. Is it two handed? Okay, because he was yeah. like, ask him how he came up with that groove and and how or if he's playing it with one hand or two. First of all, I remember watching Jeff. Playing mm-hmm. one one handed sixteenth notes, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, and I used to do that in the old old days because the the nature of the music that we were covering or you know playing was one handed sixteenth notes. Right. And uh, I finally got, I started changing that and making it two handed because it's easier to do. Right. So so it created my own style to do I got that. It. And uh, you know, there's obviously sixteenth notes on that, and then there's eighth notes in the in the verse. Mm-hmm. So. That's what I did. Beep. 
If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. Hey, are you tired of coated drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coated drum heads, Evan's new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new UV light curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer, and you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one-ply and two-ply, as well as Evans' proprietary hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. How did you practice really refining your playing and, and, and coming up with these intricate grooves because I know it's one thing to just you know to just sit down and play but but to come up with things that are really heavily groove oriented because it's kind of like that intangible you know I was talking to James Gatson about about his feel and and his sound and and what's right for the song and then you know talking to Ndugu and all these other people how how would you suggest people practice that to really refine their playing to to groove heavier well that's an interesting thing I mean you know I I mean like I don't know if, you know, the, I'm starting to get seasoned in my life, you know, so mm-hmm. to, to say I practice these things is I'm not doing that. What, what I kind of use is uh, my, my spontaneity and my, and my brain power to manifest some sort of an interesting thing. So when I go into a session... I mean, you know, obviously I've practiced and played so much in my life that I have, I, I would assume it's probably comparable to, let's, let's use a completely different analogy here. Rodney Dangerfield mm-hmm. had compartments in his brain that he could go in and grab a particular joke from that had something to do with some subject matter. Right. Well, I mean, I would assume I'm the same way where I can, if I'm playing a certain kind of song, I'm going to go in and grab a feel mm-hmm. and, and then put it in my real-time folder and play it. Right. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. It does. And, and, you know, because we've been doing this so long, like, you know, like if I'm doing a Streisand orchestral, 65-piece orchestra, I know what to pull out and, you know, what, what to do in front of 50,000 people with a brush part. Right. Or, or the, I know how to take over the band because, you know, with my cymbals uh, and making them, you know, making this whole statement. Or, or if it's some sort of a uh, rhythmical bass part, I know how not to play busy, but yet to ke- give this give the song the the points of of what's going to uh, be good in the final run there. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answer is part of that. It does. It does. I, I was thinking of the of that uh <clears throat> excuse me, that Jeff Percara video when he's talking about how he'll take the groove and he kind of like weaves the groove through the song. 
Right. You exactly. Know, versus, you know, other drummers that you hear, maybe maybe less seasoned players that just kind of play at the song rather than weaving through it. And, you know, I think that, that that's a little hard for people to kind of grasp the concept of and say, okay, how do I really work on that? How do I how do I make my playing more musical rather than just, you know, playing, you know, this playing a quote unquote beat? Well, and, and, and let's just, I'm going to get a little uh, devious here. Certain styles of music lend it, lend itself to, to me, girls dancing. Right. And I'm not going to exclude guys, but nor do I really want to talk about guys. So <laughs> me neither. Uh, we'll just keep it. We'll just keep it with well, the girls. That's fine. I've always had this propensity of, of, you know, my right foot is a very strong foot. And, and the music I play has, to me, continuations of girls dancing from left to right, right. even look, looking from behind. So, you know, hence the word swing. If you've ever watched a girl walk, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually quarter note dotted eight sixteenth. <laughs> if you watch a girl walk, it's boom, da, da, do, da, da, do, ba, da, do, da, da, right, left, right left. If you ever watch it, go and watch it. Because I don't watch guys, but right. I'm telling you, when you see a girl walk, I don't care what she looks like, that's what she does. And each girl's got her own little swing. Well, you know, I've noticed that and kind of you add that into your your concept and there's definitely an arc of, of tempo mm-hmm. and it can be uh, corralled into some sort of a groove. Right. I don't care what it is. So my, I've always wanted people to dance when I play drums. Right. That's kind of been my, my M.O. And I've, I, that's something about it. You know, it's, I don't think people dance enough, quite frankly. I totally agree. Keep them dancing. Just keep them dancing. Always. I mean, we, we got a brand new single that just came out today by DJ Cassidy. It's called Calling All Hearts. Nice young New York man. Uh, he's one of the, probably the world's most famous DJ. Are you hip to this guy? I'm not, but it's if you type it in, it's literally released today. Awesome. It's 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 me and Earth, Wind, and Fire. What? And now and now Rogers, yeah. And I did about seven tunes on this new record. It's on Columbia, and I don't know when the record's dropping, but I know the single just dropped because I literally downloaded it right right when you started recording. Man, if that's the kind of if that's the kind of stuff that he's doing, though, I want to wait. Wait till you hear this thing. He, it's I mean, you can do it while you're doing. It. It's called "Calling All Hearts," and it's just whoa, fantastic. Can you hear this? You found it, eh? Yeah, yeah. It came. See, through. all right. So, yeah, pump that baby, and, and it's you know, it's one of, one of your New York boys. He's I love him. He's a great cat, man. Man, <laughs> does he need a drummer? <laughs> <laughs> he he might. I'm gonna uh, once he starts uh, doing his thing. I think I'm gonna go. Oh, uh, hold uh, on! I can't. I'm gonna go parent the uh, the band for a second. I think. S- say that again. I you cut I, out for a second. I said once once he does gear up his situation. I think I'm gonna fly out and kind of a tutorial the band. Are you gonna play with him? Uh, I may play a little bit, but I, I I I think he wants to have young guys. So I'm gonna go out and teach. I think. And just, awesome. You know. And show all the cats the parts. Hey, if he want, if he's holding rehearsals, man, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll uh, rehe- or I'll uh, audition. I mean, I, I will let you know. That'd be awesome. Um, so where are we? Oh, so we were talking about some some studio things, um, and 
I had a, a question from somebody on the site, Patrice, who was asking, how do you select your symbols? Is that typically a personal preference or is it more of the, what the producer wants? No, it's personal preference. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I've always been just a symbol. You know, I, I get reprimanded for using the word symbol horror because mm-hmm. that makes it sound bad. So right. I guess I'm a symbol guru. Right. You know, I've always been that way ever since I was a little teeny boy with that with that 1940 Ludwig set with these little old shitty Zildjian symbols I had from the 40s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going through and becoming a, a major Zildjian artist and, uh, you know, helping with development stuff. And then I, you know, once I left Zildjian, I went to Peisty, which has been uh, almost uh, nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been on the forefront of, of developing... Um, all sorts of products there because they they have a completely different scene than the than the X company did. Yeah, and and uh, they have a complete. It's just the whole concept of their symbol making is different. And uh, once they make a final symbol, it's um, it's recipied almost like it's blueprinted, and it's almost impossible not to duplicate it. Whereas the other symbol companies, each symbol they can't they can't be the same. Well, Pisces is almost identical. Right. So I de- I developed a J.R. Wright symbol about three and a half years ago mm-hmm. w- with sound development, and it's kind of it's just it's it's a big boy, but it also has a beautiful uh, soft tones. So, like, l- let me give you an example. Tomorrow I'm starting Bette Midler. Okay. We're doing a record with Bette Midler, and I don't know when the last record she's done. Uh, and we the, the first couple of days, I'm bringing in a jazz, uh, 18-inch jazz set. So I'm going to probably start with uh, the new 602 line, mm-hmm. inclusive of a 20-inch uh, 602 flat ride. Is that the Vinny line or no? Well, you could say it's the Vinny line. It's, right. Vinny, it's not Vinny's line. But well, I know that, but the... the you know the Yeah, line. he is using those. Right. Except he's not using this 20-inch flat. No. <laughs> this thing is... <laughs> This was made for me before the 602 line came out. And awesome. I got it, oh, it sounds like that ECM vibe. Yeah, yeah, It's like, oh, when you, when you mic this thing, it's just so nice. And I've always been kind of a flat ride nut. So, so I'm going to start with that, but I may switch over and go to a Dark Energy 13-inch hats for that, though, instead of blending in the uh, 602 hats, which I think might be a little bulky for this particular music we're doing. Mm. And, then, and then what I'll do is I, I'm, I have a second kit, which will be my DW... Uh, 24-inch, I'll use maple, and that'll go into the more of the pop rock stuff that we're going to do on this on the back half of the record. Hmm. So then let's backing up. I just finished a record last week on Concord. Um, uh, it's with Al Jarreau, a tribute to the late George Duke. Awesome. And I, you know, I used to play with George a lot, and I was in Clark Duke for the first two records. And Stan, uh, see, uh, Stanley produced the first five tunes, and then Marcus Miller produced the last four or five. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I got to be the common denominator for both sides, which is really cool. You know, sometimes they'll yeah. switch up drummers. I got to do both. So Patrice was on the first sessions, and uh, it was just great. So I, um, I switched up a lot on, on the cymbals uh, there. So, but normally I start with my A's setup, is I right. guess the answer, the answer to this question. So... Now you know you're the you've been recorded more than any other drummer out there, and so when you're going into these recording sessions now, um, after you've been doing it so long, is it is it just business or is it you know is all the excitement still there like it was thirty years ago? 
Oh, no, it's, I think it's, you, you know, our, our industry went down about, I don't know, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Went, it went down pretty hard. And, um, you know, I, a lot of cats weren't working, and I'm sure that was global. Right. You know, I even heard the stories of the, you know, I'm not the, not going to bag on my Nashville brothers, but um, even I heard they suffered a bit. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I think that when we come in and do a, do a session, everything is just very exciting. And, and uh, I think everybody's bringing their collective A game. And, and, and I just did a record with the great Mike Oldfeld. Do you remember who he is? I don't. He, did a, he was famous for um, this conceptual rock music called Tubular Bells, mm-hmm. which I believe was the theme to The Exorcist. Really, and and he he did I mean, famous seventies uh, English guitar player singer, mm-hmm. and uh, I've done a bunch of work for him, including last year's or two years ago Summer Olympics I did, and um, a whole bunch of stuff. But we just finished a record with him, uh, and he was in the Bahamas. And there's a single out on that, and um, it's it's called Sailing, and it's just it's going to take off also. But it's like a pure rock record. You know, not heavy metal, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna play as fast as I can with my feet. Right. It's just this beautiful music. Hmm. So yeah, everybody gets excited. Everybody gets excited and and uh, wants to come play. Right, right, right. So how many records have you played on? Oh jeez. <laughs> well, you know, I just moved into my new house and I got my studio set up, so I've done 15 records already out of here. Yikes! In four months. Wow. I just had the great Melissa Manchester here. That's awesome. And we just did, um, you know, God bless uh, Hal David passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just did his last lyric. Hmm. And so that's a, it was a really nice, I had Abra- Abraham Laboreal Sr. playing. And yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of do, I don't know those numbers, by the right. way. And, you know, if, if there's some young genius Norwegian kid that keeps track of this stuff, <laughs> um, it would be great to have him even figure out what Chinese records I've done. Right. You know, there's all sorts of ethnic records, you know, from any time south of the border all the way down to to uh, Australia. I, I don't have logs of those. Right. I if you had to put a number on it, what would you say? Oh, jeez. You mean, you mean single, like songs? Yeah, just or just records in general. I don't know. It's got to be, it's got to be multi-thousands. Yeah. That's and amazing. I'm sure I'm I'm over uh, you know probably close to 300 million units sold. Jeez. It's amazing. Of course, you know drummer, drummers get shit, you know. We don't get anything. Right. We just keep getting <laughs> well, you know what we get, we get the next call. Right. It keeps the calls coming in. Yeah, it keeps the calls coming in. Well, we we um I live right around or my my studio is right around um there's a guy Dylan Wissing. He did some work with on the last Alicia Keys record and he just won a Grammy and you know, we were talking about the Grammy Award. He's like, "Yeah, they get the statue." He's like, "You get this little, you know, certificate in the mail." Right. Well, it's you know, it's just like this Daft Punk record I did. You know, I played on seven songs on that record. Right. And uh, they, the manager goes, "Hey, what's your address? We're going to send you something." I go, "I, I know what they're going to send me. Right. It's, gonna be a piece of, it's either going to be a piece of paper, or it's going to be that book, or both." Right. You know, and I've I don't know how many Grammy songs I probably played on over fifty. Mm-hmm. in my life, but I've won one. Like, got the statue. I've got it. That's Rufus and Shaka Khan, Ain't Nobody. Awesome. 
So I'm very, and I'm a member of NARIS and I'm a voting member and, uh, you know, I, I still have goals. Sure. And, and, uh, you know, I've, since I, you know, I stopped producing in the, in the 90s. I used to produce in the 80s and 90s and I, I, uh, you know, wanted to just focus on other stuff. And then I, I released two solo records, uh, 2004 and 2010. And the 2010 one kind of got me into a major production mode. And so right now I'm like, I'm, I'm writing and co-writing a, it'll be for myself and B it'll also be for other, other situations. Okay. So, uh, that's kind of, kind of what's going on here. Well, that's what I was going to ask. What's, uh, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Well, I mean, obviously I start, you know, right out of the gates. I got four days with bet and then I start the Oscars on Monday. And that's a solid seven days. And in between that, I've, I've got two people that are trying to fit me in on Oscar week, and I don't think it's going to happen. Not going to work. One is a motion picture, and another one is this uh, south of the border thing. After that, I uh, I am going on the road uh, for a second with uh, David Foster. We're going to go down to Kuala Lumpur and mm. do a uh, do a gig with him. And with David is. And uh, he's just so remarkable uh, as a songwriter, and we bring artists with us, so it's kind of like a cavalcade of stars thing. Awesome. And he, you know, we've done uh, two DVDs with him. So if any of you kids have not seen that, it's look for uh, David Foster and Friends. There was one and two, and everybody is on the stuff. Nice. It's just it was quite amazing. Well, I'll actually list the, all this stuff and all the links and everything how to get in touch with you on the show notes on the website, so people can find this stuff easily. Cool. And then you know I, I do a thing with uh, Muhammad Ali every year. It's called uh, uh, Celebrity Fight Night, uh, and it's uh, a benefit for Parkinson's disease. So we've been doing. I've been the drummer for that for about seventeen years. Awesome. And then I got another thing for the McDonald's Corporation coming up, and I believe Sting is going to be one of our guests, hmm. and, and that'll be fun. And uh, let's see, what else am I doing? I'm actually going back to Berkeley in June, mid-June, to perform uh, at the Performance Center. We are opening up the new wing on Mass Avenue. Uh, they've built a new seven-story building and a new recording, new Quincy Jones recording studio. So I'm going to go back and uh, be one of the artists. I think everybody, they, they've picked, uh, I mean, like, uh, I think um, Abe Sr.'s coming back. Um, um, God, who else? Um, Schofield's coming back. I and mean, it'd be kind of nice to get back, go back to Boston, and it won't be snowing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big thing. Yeah. Man, if I if I was living out where you are, I think I would just consider the East Coast closed until further notice. Well, I'm sorry. I <laughs> listen. I had I uh, I was in that uh, storm of '77 in Boston. Yeah. You know where the where the new roads were 12 feet high. You know, and, and you had to walk and get you know a quart of milk. You know, and that was all you got. So right. I remember those days. It's absolutely not. It's it's weird because you know with uh, last year with with Hurricane Sandy. It was it was weird. It was you know the whole place was desolate and there was no electricity and and it was crazy. And then after the snowstorm, it kind of felt the same way. That you know the town was abandoned. There was all this you know snow and people don't have power and it's ridiculous. Well, it gives chances either either that more rehearsal time to make babies, yep. or or just to practice. You know, there you go. So, so I was going to plug one other thing that came from last year. Absolutely. 
I was very fortunate. I, I, you know, I've never clouded the uh, market with drum videos and all that crap. Mm -hmm. But I was uh, the great Don Lombardi from Drum Channel, and mm -hmm. I did a DVD at that one DVD of the year last year. Actually, awesome. up until this year. So that's it's called Time Machine. So if the kids, it's basically it covers everything from basics to advanced and uh, multiple sets, and they've got great guest stars on there. And uh, I think it's a kind of a necessity for the drummers to have. So uh, check it out. Awesome. Like I said, I'll, uh, I'll I'll definitely put the all this stuff in the show notes so they can so people can find all this stuff. Okay. Cool. And if you had one piece of imparting advice that you would give to to drummers out there, what would it be? Well, well, you know what? Um, I always, you know, I mean, since I'm a father of three and I'm a grandfather of three now, those damn Robinsons. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, I like to just say, you know, try to stay clean mm -hmm. in this world. There's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of influences that uh, will, will take you off your path. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, remember your, your father, your grandfather and his path and how he got there and, 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 you know, follow in those footsteps. But, but I always say that do one better than your father, right? You know, always make one better decision than your father and, and, and keep passing that down to your kids. And I think you'll do fine. That's, that's great advice. I think that's a good place to stop as well. All right. Well, listen, uh, Nick, I appreciate it. If there's anything you need from me. Obviously, you've got my website, right? Mm -hmm. And you and the Facebook. Yep, I have all that. And uh, you know, people can get in touch with me through the through the website if they want, and that comes right to the Mac. So okay, yeah, I'll link all that stuff up. Okay, and, and let me add a couple of other credits which we didn't talk about real quick. Absolutely, there's a, there's a girl named Kimbra uh, on Warner Brothers that's going to be coming out this year. She's from New Zealand, and she was the girl that sang with Gautier. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's kind of a wild young. Uh, thing, and uh, I did about six tunes with her, and then there's another girl from Sweden, really, really good-looking girl named Snow, S-N-O-H, and uh, kind of dance-oriented uh, stuff, so that's going to be coming out, and then, of course, uh, Cassidy's record mm -hmm. uh, is, is coming out now, and uh, that should uh, keep people busy for a while. Awesome. I'm writing all this stuff down right now. Cool. Well, John, thank you so much. I truly appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with us today. I know you're extremely busy, and uh, we definitely appreciate the time and the knowledge that you shared. Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, you know, send me a, a link to this, and I can obviously post it, uh, have Malcolm uh, put it up on the website. That would be great. All right, buddy. Keep in touch. John, thanks again. All right. See you. Bye-bye. That was the one and only John J.R. Robinson. And to find the show notes, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 544. Also, if you want to sign up for the mailing list, grab yourself a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises to help with your chops, your independence, your speed. That is 100% free when you sign up for the mailing list. You can just do that at drummersresource.com. Hit me up on Instagram. I'm at drummersresource. Or on Twitter, I'm at the Nick Ruffini. If you need anything, you can always email email me as well ratings and reviews we love those and you can do that on itunes it takes about a minute and it lets people know that they should be listening to this podcast and other than that i hope that you have an amazing christmas if you celebrate and if not i hope you have an amazing week and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon and safe travels
Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. Peace.